Welcome to the Zen Crypto Show, where we explain cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology in simple terms, so you can feel comfortable interacting with and investing in crypto. I'm your host, Sebastian Couture. To fully grasp why crypto is important, it's necessary to have a good understanding of money. Today, we take the concept of money for granted. When you look at your bank account balance, there is how much money you have. But do you ever think about what money is, where it came from, what gives it value, and how it's created? In this episode, we'll explore money in four parts. First, I'll explain how money evolved throughout history. Second, we'll focus on fiat money, which is what we use in our day-to-day lives. Next, I'll list the properties of money and their limits. And third, we'll look at the contrast between modern money systems and cryptocurrencies. Let's get started. Money is such a fundamental part of our everyday lives, but I think most people don't really know how it works. Money is a technology. It was invented by humans to facilitate economic activity. We use it to make payments and to repay debts. In economics, there are different types of money, but for the focus of this episode, we'll focus on three. Commodity money, representative money, and fiat money. Commodity money is what was used primarily in pre-industrial civilizations, and there are many examples throughout history. So things like rare precious metals, like gold and silver, that were used as coins are examples of commodity money. But also things like seashells, barley, grain, and salt are other examples of commodity money. We say that they have intrinsic value because the value comes from the thing that it's made of. You can do something with the commodity, like consume it for food or transform it into something else. A simple modern day example is the use of cigarettes as money in prisons. But as civilizations grew, commodity money found its limits and progressively they were harder to use as we modernized. And a new form of money became commonplace, representative money. If you're of a certain age, you might remember a time when paper money was backed by gold reserves. And in those days, you could walk into a bank with a $100 bill and walk out with the equivalent amount in gold. This was the era of the gold standard, and paper bills were a representative currency. What that means is the paper bill was actually a stand-in for a commodity in order to make it easier to use day-to-day. But in the 40 years which followed World War II, new economic policies backed by the U.S. and its allies were introduced. And progressively, governments around the world got off the gold standard. Today, not a single nation has a fully gold-backed currency. Yet, a lot of people think that their money is still backed by something of value. But this is false. Since the abolition of the gold standard, We use fiat money. The US dollar, the euro, the yen are all examples of fiat currencies. And we're going to be using this term a lot during the series, fiat. So be sure to make a note of it. In a fiat money system, the value of money is based on a government declaring it as legal tender. This means economic transactions in that currency are enforced by law. So, for example, a government could make it unlawful not to accept the currency 
or by making it the only way that one can pay their taxes. Fiat currencies aren't fully backed by a reserve commodity like gold. And what makes them valuable is the country's government's policies and political promises. They retain their value through the stability of the government and national economy. So currencies like the U.S. dollar, which has a strong and stable government and economy standing behind it, will see its value appreciate relative to currencies of less stable economies. Every time you use paper money, national coins, or some digital equivalent by using a debit or credit card, you're using fiat currency. And even though today's paper money may look very similar to the paper money which was backed by gold, they're in fact very different. When money was backed by gold, the amount of a national currency in circulation was closely coupled to that country's gold reserves. But with fiat currencies, central banks control the issuance of money through policy decisions. The most recent example is the COVID crisis. During this time, central banks around the world expanded their money supply to prevent a massive financial crisis. So when we talk about printing money, it might bring up images of huge machines minting bills. But in today's digital economy, there's less and less cash in circulation. In most modern economies, cash represents less than 20% of the money in circulation. Most of the money which gets created ends up as numbers in bank databases. Central banks decide to increase or decrease the supply of money by looking at key metrics like the strength of an economy, inflation, unemployment, and supply and demand. And they have different tools at their disposal to assess these metrics. We'll cover the details of monetary policy in a future episode. But in short, central banks create money by either lending it to commercial banks, so those banks on Main Street, or buying government bonds from the commercial banks. What results of either of these operations is that the commercial banks have more money on their books, and they lend that money to people to buy houses and cars and to businesses so they can invest in factories and computers and employees. When you hear of a central bank reducing interest rates, this is to stimulate the economy by making it cheaper to borrow money and thus encourage people and businesses to spend more. And the expectation is that by spending more, the economy will be stimulated and thus will grow as a result. So now that we know the different types of money and how fiat is created, let's look at how they're used. People and organizations have different uses for money. And money serves three functions. It's a medium of exchange, a unit of account, and a store of value. Medium of exchange means that money is used by people and businesses to buy goods and services. When you buy something with money, it's acting as a medium of exchange. When you save money for a rainy day or future projects, you're using it as a store of value. By putting money in savings, there's a sense that you can store it there, and at some point in the future, you'll be able to retrieve it and the value will have roughly remained the same over time. You're literally storing value just as you would store food. And unit of account means that money is serving as a way for everyone to agree on the value of things. A unit of account 
has to be divisible into smaller units like cents. It has to be easy to count. And this is important. It has to be equivalent to any other unit of the same money. What this means is that one U.S. dollar is equivalent to another U.S. dollar. They're the same and interchangeable. The word to describe this is fungible. And this is another important term, so be sure to make note of it. So one U.S. dollar is fungible with another U.S. dollar. A Canadian dollar is fungible with another Canadian dollar. But they're not fungible with each other, and they wouldn't be fungible with an ounce of gold or a bag of rice. So again, there are three main properties for money. Medium of exchange, store of value, and unit of account. Let's take an example. Gold might be a great store of value because it maintains its value over time. For centuries, civilizations used gold as a medium of exchange. But can you imagine paying for things online with gold? So it might have been a good medium of exchange at some point in time, but not today. And it's certainly not a unit of account because no one prices things in gold. So gold is a pretty good store of value. It's not a great medium of exchange in modern times. And it's a pretty bad unit of account. So let's look at a fiat currency like the US dollar. If you live in the United States, dollars are a great medium of exchange because they're widely accepted everywhere and there's a wide adoption of digital payment systems. They're also the unit of account since all goods and services are priced in U.S. dollars within the U.S. But are they a great store of value? In the last decades, things have become more and more expensive, not just in the U.S., but everywhere, which means purchasing power has gone down. And a simple way to look at this is to consider how much groceries you could buy with $100 in the year 2000 versus now. Depending on where you live, that's probably close to half the amount. So why are fiat currencies losing their value? Well, in the next section, we'll look at this and why cryptocurrencies may offer a remedy. In the last 20 years, central banks have created more and more money than ever before. Since the 2008 financial crisis, the world's biggest economies have seen the amount of money in circulation more than triple. And in the U.S., 40% of U.S. dollars in existence have been created since the beginning of the pandemic. Let that sink in for a moment. So what does this mean for you as a consumer and a taxpayer? Well, it means your money is worth less. When you look at your bank account and see $1,000, even though that number stays the same, the value of that money is decreasing with time. This is inflation. And it's just like a balloon. The amount of money in the system is inflating, but people's savings are remaining flat. We all see this in our day-to-day -day lives. Things are getting more expensive all the time. And unless your salary is increasing, there's a feeling that you can do less with the money you earn. This is inflation at work, and every major national currency has been steadily inflating for the last decades. Inflation is an invisible tax on your savings, and the poor and middle classes are getting the short end of the stick. People with wealth are typically less affected by inflation. 
This is because the wealthy have better access to investments which appreciate in value over time. Things like stocks, real estate, and equities are less affected by inflation. This has created an even wider gap between those with high wealth and the shrinking middle and lower classes. And in many countries, this disparity in opportunity is compounded by the fact that certain types of investments are legally reserved for people with a certain amount of wealth. In the United States, these are called accredited investor rules. Cryptocurrencies offer an alternative to the fiat money system and its weaknesses. Earlier, we learned that central banks control the issuance of money by making decisions based on economic indicators. Cryptocurrencies also have monetary policies, but the rules which govern the issuance of cryptocurrencies, how much currency gets issued over time and at what rate, well, these rules are programmed in. Let's take Bitcoin as an example. Currently, 6.5 Bitcoin gets created every block, so about every 10 minutes or so. And in the spring of 2024, that will be cut in half. And four years later, the same thing will happen again. These are the rules of Bitcoin's monetary policy. And at this point, it isn't necessarily important to understand why Bitcoin has such rules, but that the rules exist and they can't be easily changed. And different cryptocurrencies have different rules about their own monetary policies, but the major cryptocurrencies have a few things in common. Their monetary policy is transparent, meaning anyone can see the rules. They're highly predictable, meaning we know with a pretty high degree of certainty how much money will exist in the system at any time in the future. And there isn't a single person or a significant group of people who can create more of a cryptocurrency than its rules define. The rules are built in and they're programmed to execute as expected. I think you can now appreciate how this is very different from a central bank-issued fiat currency with no clear or enforceable rules governing monetary policy. Things like pandemics, wars, or just the wrong people being elected to office can act as a catalyst for massive inflation. And there are countless examples of this in history, even in our lifetimes. Our current understanding of money is based on concepts which have existed in human civilization for millennia. And cryptocurrencies are challenging some of the fundamental concepts which govern money. Cryptocurrencies are powerful tools of empowerment and innovation. And just like the internet gave billions of people access to information, more opportunities to learn and to connect, crypto is potentially giving billions of people access to a new form of money which isn't controlled by national politics. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Zen Crypto Show which is produced by Zengo, where you can buy, sell, trade, and earn cryptocurrencies with mind-bending simplicity and safety. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to Apple Podcasts and let us know what you learned by leaving a review. And if you'd like to suggest a topic for future episodes, email podcast at zengo.com. Until next time, stay zen.